So we're going to continue our series uh, last week of Ordinary Time, and we're going to uh, talk today about uh, Sabbath. That's our topic, and um, so uh, tonight, the call to gather is a song called New Jerusalem, because one of the elements of Sabbath is really the idea of Sabbath rest, which is sort of a forward-looking heaven and earth being redone, God's new kingdom coming to earth, and um, that's what's in this song, New Jerusalem. So we'll begin our conversation thinking about this idea of uh, new heaven and new earth. In the new Jerusalem, in that city bright, be no fear of darkness, God will be our light. No one there will suffer, no one there will die, and there'll be no sound of weeping. God will hear our cry, and God will wipe the tears from our eyes. God will wipe the tears from our eyes. Let's start from the top again in that New Jerusalem. In the New Jerusalem, in that city bright, be no fear of darkness. God will be our light. No one there will suffer, yeah, no one there will die. No sound of weeping, God will hear our cry, God will wipe the tears from our eyes. Yeah, God will wipe the tears from our eyes. in his presence then we'll understand the reason for our trials in the simple land we will not remember the pain of things gone by all will be rejoicing death shall be denied cause God will wipe the tears from our God will wipe the tears from our eyes. He will be among us. Yeah, He will be among us. His words faithful and true. High on His holy throne, making all things new. In that city fair, we'll behold God's glory. When we're finally there, we'll be lost in wonder. We'll be lost in praise, and we will want no other when we see His face. Cause God will wipe the tears from our 
Jerusalem, first verse. In the new Jerusalem, in that city bright, be no fear of darkness, God will be our light. No one there will suffer, yeah, no one there will die, and there'll be no sound of weeping. God will hear our cry, God will wipe the tears from our eyes. Sing, God will wipe the tears from our eyes. everyone. Welcome to Emmaus Way. I am Amy, and I'm one of our pastors here. I um, have quite a gang up here tonight. Um, Dave Klein and Mike Garrigan are here joining our regulars, Wade and Dale. Thanks for being with us, guys. Was there a time that um, Mike wanted to... I know Mike has a new album coming out. I didn't know if that was something you wanted to share about now or later. You can mention it several times, but we'll talk about it more yep, in a minute, that's too. Right. Okay. Well forthcoming, Mike has a new album, and he'll share with us a little bit later about, about that. Um, tonight, we're going to continue our series on Ordinary Time. We're going to be talking about Sabbath. Um, and then next week, we have Mr. Dan Rhodes, who's going to start our series, um, Church Practices. Is that kind of what we're doing? Church life, politic? Marks of the church. There you go. Um, that's right. No Carl or brothers. Right. Okay. Um, if you are new here, um, let me tell you a little bit about our community. We are a uh, gathered community that um, is excited about what's going on in the community of Durham and um, the life that is being lived um, and the story of God that's being told. Um, we gather t- on Sunday nights, obviously, but we also gather throughout the week in home groups. Um, if you are interested in joining one of those home groups, um, Elizabeth Eford, I don't know if she's here tonight. Um, she is our point person for that. Her email is on our um, handout. And also we have a pub group that meets on Thursday nights and we get together at Bull McCabe's and talk about theology, politics, beer, all those good things. Um, maybe not talk about, but drink um, beer. Um, we also have several home groups that meet for dinner, meet for Bible study, things like that. So if you're interested in any of those, um, Elizabeth Eford or any of the pastors uh, would love to talk to you about that. Um, we also have several um, community connections that we're involved with here. Um, that, those are Africa Rising, um, the Reality Center, which is the place that we meet here, um, is one of our um, you know, connections to the community. Um, next week, we have our quarterly Ecclesia meeting, and that is kind of the church business meeting, um, which sounds way more boring than it actually is. It's actually very, <laughs> actually very fun to kind of hear the updates of what's going on in the different um, aspects of Emmaus Way. And so next week our um, worship gathering will be a little bit shorter. We'll meet from 5 to 6. And then um, from 6 to 7.30-ish. Is that right? Or we do try to do 7. 6.15 to 7.15. There you go. Um, but what's nice is that we'll get pizza we, um, so, and we'll feed you. So if you, um, if you come, you'll actually probably get home earlier and you'll be fed. 
um, than, so earlier than you normally would. Um, but anyway, we are really pleased that you all are here. Um, train of thought. Mind. Um, vegetables, that's what it was. I knew there was something entirely unrelated to everything else. Um, out when you came in, you might have seen this beautiful basket of vegetables. These are from Shannon's dad's garden. Um, and she says that we can take them. So um, they are beautiful. He said that. Or oh, please take them. Okay. <laughs> They're beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank him for this. Um, but anyways, we are glad to have you here. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, we're going to continue uh, looking at our songs of preparation tonight, and um, we're going to uh, get a chance to do a song of Mike's. Mike, um, you, um, when you were here last, I think we were talking about uh, The Voyage of the Malamander, mm -hmm. and uh, so that was a record that you did last year, uh -huh. and uh, so now you're back, and you've been busy. Yes. So... <laughs> This, uh, this record is one in a, in a series, right? Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about the series? Because it's been an ongoing thing for, for years. Yeah, I think I started this series of, of music in um, 1996. There was an album called The Lessons of Autumn. And um, when you do a seasonal record, you kind of paint yourself in a corner and you have to come up with <laughs> four other or three others. So um, I did a summer record in 2002, and this is finally the, the spring version of that uh, triptych. And... We talk yeah, about the song please a little tell, bit here. Yeah, because it's a cool title and uh, it's very evocative. But I, I, I want to hear. We, we want to hear your story too. Well, this song we're going to do um, from the Return of Spring is called the original Pullman Palace Car Dream, um, and the story is that um, I was out playing some shows and I, I found myself in Pittsburgh um, with a longing to go home, and I just wanted to go home, but I had two days to lay over there. So uh, I went to a museum and went to an exhibit. It was very um, elaborate exhibit uh, by the Lionel Trains Company about the history of the Pullman Palace Car, and there was this model, and um, all these little people were in it, and I imagined what life would have been like uh, back then, uh, in that century, and then while I was watching it, I just wanted to go home, so I was kind of in two places at once, and then in this song, the two worlds kind of collide uh, in that way, so... It kind of relates to the theme of the Sabbath, I think, somehow, if, if the Sabbath is <laughs> yeah. like home. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that idea we talked about in the first song of the new Jerusalem, you know, the new heaven and new earth, that idea of uh, the land being at rest, we're, we're um, picking up um, some themes scripturally where it looks back at um, a series we did about um, Joshua and the Israelites and how when the land was at rest, it was because God had brought peace and, and harmony in, in that book. And so... Um, I think, yeah, that, that, the longing for home is, I think, a huge part of, of our Sabbath conversation. So, anyway, yeah, thanks for sharing this. You're welcome. We're ready? <laughs> okay. uh, one, two, three, four. By the western Pennsylvania Imaginary sea Leo talks of trains and steel There's a wedding in models And icicles rattle And a barnstormer's flying for gold This is the original Pullman Palace car dream In which my life flashes before An imaginary sea and I'm harvesting zeppelins and banging on the rocks And 
get a hold of your new record when it comes out in a couple of weeks? Uh, I'm at MikeGarrigan.com or it will be on iTunes as well. iTunes. Who does that? Uh, Apple. Oh, Apple, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of that company. They're not very big. I... Yeah. Got to get your Apple digs in when you can. Um, I was waiting tables um, like a lot of folks do when they're first doing music and um. I uh, had a scooter that got trashed, and so then I was riding my bike. And uh, so bike riding provides more opportunity for thought than scooter riding, and so uh, it, I don't know. It sh I guess it should anyway. And so um, I was uh, just thinking really about this idea of uh, what I was longing for. And the idea of a uh, new heaven and a new earth just is hard to wrap your mind around, at least it is for me. And so the idea of rest, of what it would mean to actually have God care for us in such a way that there's real rest, where there's not just laying around, but where there's this idea that we could pursue things that matter, we could love each other, we could 
find harmony, that we could find ways to pursue things. Um, I think that was really what was on my mind uh, in this song when I closed my eyes. And so even though I I know it's only a partial look at what it means to find Sabbath, to find rest, um, hear it in that way. And the the chorus repeats several times. I'd love to have you sing along too if you'd like. When I close my eyes, I can see forever and leave the trees are brilliant green and my heart hears the sound of a distant calling the wind on my face says to me gonna live my life live it differently Yeah. 
is such an illusion. Hello to the truth of my need. Well, the promise of presence is all that I have now. Sometimes I don't be. guys. In fact, you know, I think that if I worshipped Moloch, God of Fire, I think I still would come to hang out here. You guys play music. <laughs> I don't, or at least I don't this week. Who knows about next week? But, uh, but I, anyway. I haven't met Moloch. That's yeah. <laughs> but uh, hey, um, as we uh, transition to our dialogue tonight, um, one of the things that, and, and I, I, um, I was reading the lyrics and anticipating the next three songs coming up, and there's an incredible theological journey that we're wandering through uh, that we'll continue to wander through musically tonight on this idea of Sabbath. And two things that pop up in, in just listening to the music, one is that we live in a world where there's just so little that we can control. I mean, it's, it's a frightening place at times. It's a, a world that's just too big to put our arms around, and that's that's tremendously challenging and so that, then then we're that that turns us toward practices what are the practices that we can do in a world that we we can't control and here we are in ordinary time talking about mundane practices for us and then the other as we talk about sabbath is the idea of yearning and our songs have taken us from a yearning to home a yearning to to be where our place is, uh, uh, this image of a new Jerusalem, which is the dominant biblical image of where it all ends, but, but it's a difficult image for us, as, as you say, Wade. And so we, we live in this mode of yearning. And so as we, as we typically kind of rise up now and just stand up, greet each other, offer each other the peace of Christ, I'm going to give you an extra second or two today, just to, if you want to, if you're whoever you're talking with or, or greeting or, or see at the coffee pot or whatever, uh, say something that you desperately yearn for in this world. And it may not be a personal yearning. It could be something that you yearn for in our, our collective lives and the, in the larger world. But what are you straining for? What are you hoping for? What would you like to see as a, as a reality in your world or the wider world? So stand up, greet each other, offer each other the peace of Christ. And if you want to, share something that you're yearning for. So as we're resettling, and take your time if you're grabbing a piece of cake or a cup of coffee back there, that's perfectly worshipful in every way. Um, but uh, somebody who, something that you're yearning for, uh, anybody have a, a yearning comment, something that you're looking for in your own life or uh, the broader community, something you're desperate for, something you're hopeful for, something that would just be great to have? What Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be a crazy thing? 
I mean, if we really, really lived in a world where that kind of love dominated, we could handle that. Yeah, absolutely. Other, other comments of yearning. Trigar. I would yearn for a student loan jubilee year. Oh, man. <laughs> it would be fun to do, but I won't do. We could, like, start with, like, 10,000, you know, and everybody raised their hand and we'll just see how far up we could go. And then we'd have, like, a maybe like a bolo tie that we gave to the winner or something. But uh, we won't do that. But, wouldn't, again, wouldn't it be amazing if the world just said, you know, we're going to practice a jubilee and the 50th year of forgiveness is, like, in four years from now. Oof, that would be nice. Absolutely. And I'll put our resident epidemiologist on the spot, wherever he is, back there. Jim, how many people are incarcerated in our world today? In America. I can't tell you the number, but I can tell you that the U.S. has the highest rate of any country in the world. Uh, there you go. So, yeah. That's, and it's, that's, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're going to drift back to uh, 1984 LA Olympics, you know, USA, there's the American in seventh place, yes, yes, <laughs> so any other yearnings, something you yearn desperately for? That's we're good. Belonging. Belonging. And anything specific with that, Mark? Yeah, yeah, and I think people probably who have had that experience where you've had a profound sense of community where you connect and are loved and are known, uh, and then you've had, you haven't had that experience, you know how powerful that is, absolutely. Well, I have a disclaimer tonight. We're going to talk about the practice of Sabbath, and tonight I'm going to run the risk of being a hypocrite telling you to be pious um, or a drunkard telling you to be a teetotaler, or a liar asking you to tell the truth, or a lazy person asking you to be diligent, because this is going to be one of those do as I say rather than do as I do nights, uh, and I think some of us others would fit in that category, but the practice of Sabbath, and as we break it down a little bit, you're going to see there's a couple elements of it that I, I feel wonderful about, but in terms of the rhythm of Sabbath, it, it's something that um, is often deeply missing in my own life. I have had one experience of extended Sabbath, by the way, um, in 1997, uh, Mimi and I and the kids were um, two and a half and one, I think, had a sabbatical where we uh, had 12 weeks off. We lived on the Outer Banks, and I did an Ignatian prayer ritual was my this focus of my Sabbath. So hanging out, praying, playing around with the family, I did that for 12 weeks, and I felt 
like an entirely different human being after those 12 weeks. You could have cut me off in traffic and taunted me at week 12 plus one day, and I would have rolled down my window and laughed and just said, thank you. Uh, uh, so I, there, there's been times when I've had experiences of Sabbath, but, but I think for many of us, we're going to talk about something that's challenging and, and difficult to do. Um, um, and as we go through this, one of the things that I do want us to keep in mind is that Sabbath keeping, as we define it, is, is going to be both hard and essential to our lives. And so uh, uh, we'll struggle with that. We'll struggle with this tonight in terms of describing something that's difficult for us to do and perhaps something that we, uh, we can do together. Um, I, I want to reference a book tonight. I'm going to make some comments without a lot of quotations out of it, but um, I read a book about 20 years ago, that, 25 years ago, that was written for, uh, for, for pastors. It was by Eugene Peterson. Any of you guys have read The Message or have that book or are familiar with him or some of his other books, but it was called Working the Angles, and it was a lament about um, the pastoral life. So it was really written to pastors. And basically, he said that, you know, pastors do anything but the three things that we assume that they do, which is living in Scripture, uh, praying, and guiding other people in their spiritual lives. And he, he laments lots of things in terms of uh, when did the pastoral study become an office, when did flip charts become more important than prayer, all of those things. But it's a wonderful book, and it's really one of the first times that I read something in, in great detail on the practice of Sabbath. It was incredibly illuminating and incredibly convicting. So uh, tonight, a lot of the things that I'm going to say bounce out of that reading, so it's something that I recommend. It's called Working the Angles. I think it's still in print. It's good enough to have been in print for 25 years or so. But another question for you. Um, when the concept of, and, and we're not even going to try to define what this is. I, really, I want more of a feeling reaction to this. But when, when somebody says Sabbath, um, what are the feelings or images that come to mind when, when you hear the word Sabbath? And if, you, if that's an, an alien term to you, that's fine too. Don't, don't sweat that because I think it's probably somewhat alien to most of us. But Sabbath, what images, what thoughts come to mind? Rest, sure. School. School, okay. All right, that's right. On Saturday? Yeah. Did you, Barry, did you do Hebrew school? What, what age did you do that? Uh, probably in elementary school we started. Yeah. And it was very oppressive to a child who's been in school all day already. <laughs> I grew up with... My high school and, and you know the schools that fed into it had a lot of kids who were Jewish and who were Greek. And so there was, there was Greek school <laughs> and there was Sabbath school. And you just, I mean, there, there needed to be like a special word of hell in our mind thinking about those kids trekking to, to Greek or Sabbath school. So absolutely. Other images, thank you, Barry, other images of Sabbath. washing my car on Sunday or wanting to do things like, like wash the dishes or anything that was work related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Rhodes has a really good big Lebowski image that he probably wants to share with us on that. But, <laughs> but, uh, but how many of you guys have images like that of like forbidden practices on Sabbath? And what might have been a forbidden practice in your world? Going to the shop. Going to the shop. 
Oh, yes. Okay. Citing the minister's wife in the shop. Now that's a quandary, isn't it? I mean, you know, like, you know, every practice has like its gray area. I mean, in my Southern Baptist world, that would have been a big one. Like, you know, oh my gosh, it's a movie, but it's about God. You know, so it's, does it like cancel itself out or is it a good thing or a bad thing? Elizabeth. Um, I think a lot about like paying for it because like I don't know if you Yeah, absolutely. We were laughing, Amber and I, about uh, what happens when you turn your back on a class of 10th graders or leave them with the student teacher. It, it can blow up on you. And the same way if you're parenting or doing things like that, you just kind of turn your back and say, kids, mom or dad is not present for the rest of the afternoon. Here's some cash, credit card, remote control, have at it. I mean, it might not be the best next day for you. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yeah, Trigger. You know, Trigger, you raise an issue with us that almost any practice that we talk about, any of these that we've talked about for ordinary time, can be turned into a burden. But if you strip it of a sense of discipline and the edge of having to commit yourself to it, then, then, then it becomes something different as well. And so there's this balance between uh, discipline and burden, so to speak. And think Chick-fil-A, how odd that is in the business world for a fast food restaurant to take a day off. Again, some people might think that's some sort of legalistic weird thing, and in other ways, that says something too, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. It's against the grain. I know every Sunday night after Emmaus Way, you know, it's, that's kind of my big day. My mind immediately thinks, you know, right during cleanup. 
Well, I could have a good cold porter or a Chick-fil-A milk. Ah, and they lose that five bucks every week, don't they? You know, and, uh, and, but there's some sort of practice about, you know, at, at least as they you know, say that, is they're not saying that you should practice Sabbath, but they're saying that we want our employees to practice Sabbath. So, we're, you know, so there's something, something good about that. Um, so, okay. I was on the staff of a, a Baptist church, and as many Baptists do, they uh, started having conflicts within the church and, uh, and Christians. Thank God the rest of those Christians don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and as the last hired person, uh, I was the first to let go to balance the budget. And um, this was traumatic, and it was hard to. And I wound up working in a family-run 7-Eleven for about a year. Uh, it was an important part of my education. Um, one of the things I realized was how difficult it is when you are working in a place that's expected. They were open 24 hours. Mm-hmm. They didn't even close on Christmas. But how difficult it is to... Um, it just made me sympathetic with the old days of when things were not open <coughs> on Sunday because I, I wanted people to be able to go. And I had negotiated that I would have Sunday mornings off and that was all I could then because their grandmother worked on the mornings, but I had to work until like two on Saturday nights and then clean up and get home and fall asleep. And um, it was hard to get to church the next day having that sleep schedule in the morning. And uh, so it really made me have a lot more appreciation for the old rules that had kind of a time when people would go to church and be with their families and all be together. Yeah, and maybe at the end of the night we'll all uh, we'll get one of our, our truly tech people around here to program like a Sabbath command on your cell phone that you can just kind of press like a, a mute or something like that. That'd be great. Um, in, in kind of unraveling this a little bit, um, I want to talk, and this idea comes from uh, Eugene Peterson on this, but one of the things that he talks about is, is Sabbath is a rhythmic practice. It's something that happens regularly. It's something, and, and he talks first about this rhythm. Is, um, if you've read the creation stories in the Old Testament, um, do you remember, as, and this is, this is for all the Sunday school people or people who grew up in church, what was the sound bite at the end of each day of creation in, in Genesis? First day, second day, third day, fourth day. Well, do, you, do you remember the little phrase that comes at the end of that? Somebody say it loud. It was good. And right before that, I think, or right after <laughs> You guys are all around it, but here's the one I'm looking for. <laughs> I thought it was evening and it was morning the second day. It was evening and it was morning the third day. And and one of the things that Peterson was saying about this is this is in many ways a Jewish concept of day. Uh, and interestingly, noticing that the day begins in evening. It ends in morning. So in the 24-hour or the metaphorical day, um, there is darkness and then there is light. 
darkness first light. And, and, he, and he raises this point that every day, and this is somebody who writes to pastors, I, I, I wake up to save the world. I wake up to bring healing and peace and goodness to all that I encounter. I, I wake up to you know, all these good things only realizing that the day is half done. That I am, it's like some of you who maybe have worked before on the West Coast and you, you get to the office early at 7 in the morning and, and New York's been up for three or four hours and they're already screaming at 10 in the morning, where are you and why haven't you done this? And in some ways, uh, Peterson is saying that's the way that, 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 that the Hebrews thought about the world is that they woke up every day already in the middle of the day with the reality that throughout the night, Animals were hunting and feeding, and the whole ecology of the world was in balance. That uh, earthworms are aerating the earth. Uh, that uh, even in our sleep, to some degree, our our muscles are being restored. Our souls are being restored. How many times have you gone to to bed with tremendous weariness, only to have a dream that maybe spoke some sense of peace or or grace or hope into what was a, a weary day before? And so, to some degree, the rhythm of it was this idea that um, that there was evening and that there was morning and that this rhythm what does that rhythm teach us if, if the day, if we concept this idea of day and we begin with evening then morning what might we learn from that if we reflect on that the importance of rest absolutely, sure Yeah, it's it's it, that that life has a rhythm to it, definitely. I was thinking about um, I, my mind went to a novel that I enjoyed this week. Somebody reminded me of it: the Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a portrait of a you know a, a nine hundred thousand dollar a year uh, uh, you know financial person in New York City, and at one point there's this graphic image of him. Uh, before his life really goes crazy, considering himself the master of the universe. He has this master of the universe day as everybody's Mr. McCoy. How are you, Mr. McCoy? The car will be there at any moment, Mr. McCoy. Is your food okay, Mr. McCoy? Don't we all kind of live with that mindset of, wouldn't it be great to be the master of the universe? And in some ways, instead of day and evening, but evening and day, we get the sense that we're not the master of the universe. That in some ways, the universe is happening without our leadership, without our participation, that we are... In fact, we said this, um, uh, Amy said it tonight, it's one of the things we talk about as a Maus way, as a community. We always say, we don't initiate God's redemption. We are looking for the evidence of God's redemption in this world, in this community, and hoping to participate in it. So in some ways, the day, the evening, and, and, and morning rhythm of the day constantly teaches us that we are participators. We are joiners. We are people who are not the authors of God's work. We're not the authors of redemption. We're not the authors of creation, but we're asked to participate in that. Now, in that daily rhythm, Sabbath lands as a once-a-week rhythm that's a part of that. Um, and interestingly, um, Sabbath gets a pretty high billing. It makes the top ten list in terms of uh, the Ten Commandments. And one other oddity that we'll look at, look at your little handout that I gave you tonight. Um, you, you might have caught this before, but in both sets of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath gets the most verbiage the most explanation. 
which might mean it's the most important or maybe the most obscure and the most difficult to understand why it would be important and why it would make the top ten list. And the latter is probably true, but it gets a lot of verbiage. So let's look at these two descriptions of the Ten Commandments, one in Exodus 20 and then the other in Deuteronomy 5, and let's listen to the verbiage that follows um, Sabbath. Would somebody read the Exodus version? It's just that little top paragraph. Go ahead if you got it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this one, in, in, in Genesis, there's not a really complex theological justification, right? It really just settles to do it because God did it. <laughs> it's, it's very, very God-focused. This is how, in the story of creation, God created. So there's a divine rationale. This is what God did. This is what God does. Now somebody grab Deuteronomy 5 and read that description. It's, it's different, as you'll notice. first one was very God-focused. Interestingly, this one is very, that one was the creator, this one is on humanity or the created as compared. So the rationale is, don't you remember people of God once you were slaves? You lived for 400 years without a Sabbath. You were forced to labor. You were forced to live without hope, without entertainment, without rest for 400 years. So in some ways, the appeal here, the first is do it because God did it. This one is that without the practice of Sabbath, we dehumanize ourselves. We put ourselves back into the Egypt context. Now, both of these ideas are rooted in creation. One is focusing on the creator. The other is focusing on the creation. But it's two different starting points to think about this idea of, of, of Sabbath. So uh, one of the ways, a really simple way to think about that is coming out of the Genesis description of Sabbath, the one that says do it because God did it. Um, we might raise the question of what does Sabbath keeping look like? 
Because you know, there's all the legalistic stuff that gets kind of complicated when when uh, Cecil B. DeMille makes the Ten Commandments, and you know, I mean, so what does it look like? What does practicing Sabbath look like? How do we stay in not only the rhythm of evening and morning, but the the weekly rhythm uh, of life? And in one way to think about this is the divine rationale challenges us to pray. That prayer is an act of Sabbath. It's an act of... And, and remember when I think of prayer, uh, the definition that I constantly use here is not just these moments when we might say, at this moment I'm praying, but it's a posture, it's an awareness, it's a creating space for the voice of God. It's the... Um, one of the things that we laugh in our house is that there's a certain amount of either... Um, laptops, televisions, uh, stuff, friends, Facebook going on, that you could say to our kids, there's a nuclear crisis, and if we don't get out of the house now, we will all be evaporated into little piles of dust. And the kids are like, they don't even hear a word. You can say, uh, free money on the, on, on the, <laughs> in the kitchen, whatever you want, to, and no one's going to hear it. And in many ways, that's our lives. We're, we're not able to hear the voice of God. And so the Genesis perspective is asking us to pray, is to create space to be aware of the presence of God. So that's one practice of Sabbath keeping. The, the Deuteronomy version asks us to hold on to our humanity, to, to rest, as Elizabeth said, in many of you guys said in terms of Sabbath. Um, and in many ways, Sabbath keeping from the Deuteronomy perspective is to play. It's to recreate. It's to enjoy. It's to embrace life. It's to say, it is indeed great that I was born. I was created. I am part of this world, part of this community, part of this set of relationships. So uh, again, borrowing from Eugene Peterson, he would say that the essential Sabbath practice is this dual practice of, of praying and playing. So when we begin to think about a rhythm, rhythm of Sabbath, perhaps the, the question is, is there a way that your life embraces the presence of God? And is there a level of play in your life that restores you as a human being? Uh, one could even put it this way. Sabbath keeping is an act of kindness. Um, imagine this with me is that one of the tensions, N.T. Wright says this. Wade, you may have to help me on, on this one because this is a good quote that comes from you. But N.T. Wright says this often, that often the ways that we want to live our lives is to look at other people as assets, collaborative people that can help us get what we want, people who are in the way of what we want and need to be knocked down, moved around, moved aside, uh, people that we manipulate. That's kind of the way that we, we're tempted to live our lives because we're so busy. I know I come in on days and I say, walking in the door to my kids who are, I mean, can you imagine the horror of this? Excited to see their dad. And the first thing that I might say is, don't speak to me, I'm busy. <laughs> you know, to some degree, we live in that kind of tension. And the idea of Sabbath is the reverse of that. It's an act of kindness that says, I'm able to look at you as a person who is lovely, created by God, of great dignity and worth, to be listened to, be, to be known, to love. And in some ways, our ability to practice Sabbath, the prayer and the play side of that, gives us the freedom to relate to each other as, as also created people. It's an act of kindness. Um, and, and in many ways, think about this. I struggle with, uh, we talked about the evening and the morning. The world that I want to live in is a morning and an evening thing is that I wake up and I do a bunch of stuff. 
And at the end of doing a bunch of stuff that some might be worthy, potentially God might shout down and say, Tim, you're worthy. You've done a good day today. You're on my good side. And, and I know a lot of you may have been parented that way, where, where you only were what you accomplished in that given day. And in some ways, that's the day-evening rhythm. It's work and grace. Work hard enough and, and grace will be given to you. Uh, one of the reflections that I have of being in a doctoral program for four weeks around the crazy people who would be in such a program and the crazy people who teach such programs is there's not a lot of lazy people. There are, uh, there are people that are phenomenally driven that might say, you know what? Yesterday, between 10.17 and 10.29, I just wasn't very productive. What was wrong? Where did those 12 minutes go? How can I get them back? Some of you live under those type of pressures. And in some ways, Sabbath is the reversal of that idea of we work for grace. It reverses it and it reminds us that we live in grace. And grace is in many ways the motivation that helps us work. Um, the other thing that, Wade, you mentioned here is that Sabbath, in addition to aligning us into an experience of grace, Sabbath also helps us imagine the completion of God's work. One of the things that, that, that the, we sang about the New Jerusalem, and in some ways rest, the theme of rest is used throughout the Old Testament of an idea of people in God's grace and things working out according to God's plan. So in some ways, when you say, I have no hope, I don't think God is doing anything in this world, that might be an indicator of an absence of Sabbath rest in your life so that you can't even imagine what Sabbath rest might look like. So here we go. A few biblical justifications of the practice of Sabbath, the importance of those rhythms, but how difficult is the practice of Sabbath in your world? To take a day, a, a period of time, a length of time where you're saying, in this moment, I am focusing my full attention on the presence of God and the kind of playful recreation that restores me to be able to hear God's voice. Is that easy or hard for you? We've already expressed I'm a failure at it. Barry, yeah. Tim, I would suggest with all the aforementioned technology in your home that this new era of technology has made relaxation obsolete. Yeah, I mean, you know, we live... I came home with her computer from work years ago. I said, that's great. Now you can work 24 hours. <laughs> We talked about this in our text group, that we, do, we don't live in a world anymore where work, work stops. My dad left the office every day, probably like a jelly donut halfway in his mouth, at 5.03 p.m., did the commute to Charlotte, and was home at 5.27 p.m., totally connected to family, whether it was working in the yard, coaching teams. There was never, if it was a work call, that meant that Southern Bell had blown up. And, and we should all run for cover. It never happened. But that's not the world we live in, right? Some of you, I mean, some of you have easy jobs. I mean, those of you who are teachers, I know that's a, a, you know, a nine-month job. Uh, what are you, out at 2.30? I mean, that's pretty easy. But most of us have hard jobs. Now, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and there's this crazy inverse reality of, of uh, the, the easier your job, the more you're paid sometimes. But, but we have challenging lives. Uh, other reactions to the of how we might practice Sabbath in this crazy world. I think a lot of people 
It's, it has to be regular, right? Now, those of you who are parents of small kids, if you don't get away, if you don't like, you know, have dates or have people care for your kids, what do you do like the first night that you have one of those in like two years? You do one of two things. Talk about your kids or you sleep. Okay, that's a good one. The third one. Doesn't involve sex, by the way. Um, you fight because you've been like holding all this stuff. Here are about 52 things that you do that piss me off. But we've been too busy to talk about these things. Now we've got a little time on our hands uh, for number one. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, there's this idea that, that, that it, you know, unless you practice it regularly, there's a lot of pressure on, okay, I've marked four hours this afternoon and I'm going to relax. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you might drive yourself crazy doing that. So there has to be regularity to the practices, Vanessa says. Other challenges. I'll throw this one out there. Is that I would suggest that on the play side of things, it's worth interrogating the notion of play in our lives. I think we have a lot of things in our lives that, um, that we might call play that are more stressful than, than, than life. Um, I was reading something that cited this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, by Neil Postman, and it's the idea. He's talking about discourse, but still the truth is that in entertainment culture, sometimes there's more pressure related to that. And so we invented DVRs and TiVos and things like that so that we don't kill people on the way home from church to watch Lost at, you know, at, at eight, o, you know, 8 o'clock on the dot. But now it piles up on our, 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 our DVR, and then we feel pressure like, I've got to go have some fun. We've got to watch this. It's been sitting there for weeks. You know, and so it's, and think about things like, now for me, I have not sat down on a Sunday afternoon and watched football in 25 years. So if I were to just like blow off a man's way, grab a six-pack of PBR, uh, lie down on the sofa with some chips and nachos and start watching football, that might be Sabbath-like for me. Because if, you, if I did a fantasy football draft, I think like Peyton Manning plays quarterback and then I don't know who my second pick would be. I just don't watch it, so I don't know, so it wouldn't be that stressful. But for some people, they're like, i got to watch football. My team is losing. My teams are my fantasy team. My four. I mean, you know, to some degree, sometimes we'll label something, and I'm not just picking on football. It might be music. Uh, it might be a million things that we do that, that we deeply love, but they have no longer become play for us. They have become something that is is strapped in burden. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you say this, I know Wade says this a lot, is, you know, a lot of people find golf stressful. <laughs> but you find golf uh, kind of fun on Mondays because it's not in, in your brain, you're cussing and throwing your clubs. And well, Wade's a really good golfer, so he probably only does that like once around. But you're not writing music during that time. And Mark, you might find the same thing, that there might be like a day when you're not writing music in your mind that might be restful, even if you're you know, just doing nothing, uh, so to speak. Other thoughts on the practice of Sabbath and how we might practice this. Yeah, Mark, you go first and then wait. I was going to say, so having lived in a third world culture and an island culture on top of that for a couple of years, 
it's remarkable how, now some people in Samoa, you might say every day, but I like the Sabbath. <laughs> Nobody did anything, anything. But, but there was something to like Sunday being, everything was closed. You couldn't buy alcohol or anything like that on Sundays. And you didn't really, there wasn't really anywhere to go, so you wouldn't get in your car to drive somewhere either. So there was sort of this imposition by the culture that said, I'm sorry, there's nothing to do today, so you're just going to have to kind of entertain yourselves, you know, get in the ocean or have fun with each other or play with your kids or whatever. And even to the point that certain other days you could walk across somebody's property and it might be okay, but if you did that on Sunday, you might get in trouble for that. So there is something to like having external limits put on things that I have to say is sometimes annoying, but sometimes really cool because it just and let's remind ourselves of the context here. I mean, living in a rhythm of grace than work might be the most powerful thing in the world and maybe the most difficult thing to world, in the world to do. And what Mark is saying is I don't think it's an individual practice. It, to some degree, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, you, you need a community of people around you. You need structure. You need boundaries. You need people committed to Sabbath around you. Uh, and, and when there are those commitments, then it's, it's more viable to, to live in that reality. Um, one of the people in Emmaus Way who's away now, Laura Chase uh, and Daniel. Laura, for years, a couple years, I know, I don't know how long she maintained this practice, but she used to have a creative Sabbath on Sundays. She just thought, you know, I'm going to do on Sundays what I don't do all week long. And so she would put bake. And, you know, there would be weeks when, like, this food would come in. You're like, oh, my gosh, it must be Laura Day because there's, like, 15 things here. But she was praying for us by name and cooking stuff in the afternoon. And she would paint or make uh, greeting cards. Uh, beautiful. We were in Mimi's office last night, and she's got a display of Laura's greeting cards, which are just beautiful. But for her, one of the things, and she said many times, growing up in a legalistic background, I didn't believe I could do something like that and call that prayer, call it life, call it play. And for her, creativity brings play and prayer right together. And so one of the things she used to say was, on Sundays, I just begin my creative Sabbath when I get up. And, and so when I'm cooking, I'm cooking as play. I'm cooking as fun. I'm cooking as an act of community, more comfortable cooking for you than for me on Sunday. And, and I want to urge you to think about that, is that are you able to create blocks of time that are regular in your life um, that, that allow you to, to, to do that and to begin thinking about um, what might that look like for you? What might a practice of Sabbath look like for you? Um, any thoughts on that? Like somebody might say, well, I mean, for, for any of you, what would be a Sabbath practice for you? Something that would give you that sense of living in grace than work, living in the rhythm of God's love, uh, playing and praying. so many people who say growing something and watching and the, and it's kind of getting back to what Vanessa said is that you can't just like garden for a day and then not garden anymore right 
there's two things about gardening that's interesting is there has to be a regular practice and you have to if you're going to have a fun day in the garden you might have to have a couple yucky days in like five minute intervals or an afternoon or something to have the fun day in the garden and in some ways that might be true for a practice of sabbath that you there's some work that we do along the way to be able to enjoy sabbath Absolutely. Those of you who, who, who run, I know there's many people a part of this community who see f- their physicality. And Sabbath, by the way, is a very physical practice. Um, that, that exercise can be an, a tremendous act of prayer. But I'm here to say running is no fun if you do it once a week. Uh, it's something that you have to do regularly so that you can say on Saturday, I'm, I'm going to run for a couple hours. I'm going to think. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be. And, and my phone isn't with me on that, that. I can't be reached for these couple hours. Anybody else? What would Sabbath look like for you? Yeah, Sarah Kate? Going back to what you were saying before with the kids, um, just making time to be in relationship with people. I think I'm really productivity-driven as well. And so that feels like such a, a luxury almost. Um, but I really about the time for it. Like today I was thinking I should write thinking notes or I should write notes to some people I haven't talked to in a long time. I haven't done that, but that would be I think practice for me. You know, and honestly, I don't think I could say that for people in this community because I look around. In fact, I look at you guys often and I go, I wish I had friends like you guys have in your 20s or early 30s. Or there's, there's a lot of significant relationship in this community. But how many times have we been in that situation? We said, I'm going to create some space for friends. I don't have any friends. I've been so productive that I don't have those type of people that I can just call up and say, let's walk for an hour, let's talk. And, and so it's something that you have to culture, kind of like Elizabeth's garden, so to speak. It's, yeah, absolutely. What do you, did you, what do you I was going to say, I haven't done it in a while, but for probably six, seven months straight, when I was back in grad school at Duke, I got to the habit of and the hours that they're by. And not only would I be writing when I was researching, but I had an amazing amount of time to think and actually pray. And I'm kind of really still shocked that I could manage to do that while I was writing. Mm-hmm. It was a very settling time. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons, when, that's when you know that you're practicing Sabbath. Because you're doing something that you don't typically do, or you don't do six days a week, and in doing it, it's liberating. It's liberating to your soul. It's liberating. In fact, one of the things I would suggest, our, one of our biggest trouble with prayer is that we mislabel it. We, we, we're, we're often doing it. We don't call that prayer. And so we're not aware of the fact that these are deeply spiritual acts. I was writing kind of a, a conclusion to this one. I, I'll read a couple of things from this. Is You know, sometimes I think a lot of us live our lives on this hellish hamster wheel of work or image, or uh, accomplishment, or significance. Again, four weeks into a doctoral program, I know some of you are long farther than that. The word of significance comes up, what, maybe once every half second? I mean, you know, the, the, the being significant or important. And so many times we live in this hamster wheel that works like this, uh, and we don't believe that God can love us 
unless we produce something first that merits God's love. Or we've been raised with this crazy Sisyphus type of myth that somehow we can get our arms around the world. We can get it in control. We can get our yard or our home in perfect order, our relationships in perfect order, our friendships in perfect order, and we can anticipate everything. I mean, there are days I live my whole life committed to that myth, only to realize that that's probably the stupidest thing in the world I could ever commit to because it never, ever happens. But we take on these tasks that are doomed to failure. I'll live and I'll never be hurt. I'll live and I'll never be at risk. I'll live and I will never shed tears. We live this way. Um, but in many ways, Sabbath is our hope. Um, it's a simple but incredibly hard practice uh, that reconnects us to the rhythm of God's grace. And it asks that we live in joy. So as we kind of leave this tonight, and, uh, and I think this whole dialogue produces plenty of things, Wade, for confession and absolution. But I throw that back at you to say, this might be a good thing to talk about with people who are dear to you, people that you're in a home group with, uh, people that you talk with, hang out, or play with. Uh, what would, if, if we were to take Sabbath and make it more of a practice in our lives, what might that look like? When would it happen? Because it's not the same for, for, for all of you. I know those of you who teach, it's probably Sabbath isn't, Elizabeth probably going to happen like at 8.30 on Sunday night. You're, you, you've got kids to face. You've got your game face on. Um, and so for all of us, it might look differently. But I would love for you to, to maybe think about that. What would Sabbath look like in our, our circle of friends and our community? And I'd love to hear your thoughts. And, and by the way, this is an open invitation um, is that if you have a Sabbath practice that you become aware of or you start doing in the next several weeks, or please bug me and say, I would like to tell this to others because I think that would be incredibly encouraging. So the call to pray and the call to play. I like um, when you're describing the idea that we start in grace and uh, move from there, and I think... Our confession tonight is we are moving towards the table, which is really uh, our central Sabbath practice in Emmaus Way is to come around the table together. The uh, symbol, the, the place where we feel like God's grace to us is uh, expressed, but we do it together. We do it as a corporate practice. Uh, this song of confession, Mark's song, is a uh, song to someone who's died. It's a blessing after someone's died, and I was thinking that it would work as a confession for us because oftentimes it's when we say the nicest things to people, when we say the things where we really will express the kind of care and grace that we could express in people's lives, but we oftentimes will save the most affirming things to some kind of tragedy or a point like that. And so I think it's interesting that as we come around the table, which is really a, a celebration of Christ's death for us and, and obviously his resurrection, that this idea of death is something that we have to take on at Sabbath, um, but that because grace wins out, that's also part of the story. So sing this with us. May your spirit
And I know that's much to ask But lay down your fears Come and join this feast He has called us here You and me So maybe He's rained down from heaven Like little pieces of the sky Little keepers of the promise Falling on these souls the drought has tried In His blood and in His body In this bread and in this wine Peace to you The peace of Christ to you Strangers, prisoners in these lonely hearts. Though our blindness separates us, still his light shines in the dark. In his outstretched arms Still strong enough to reach Behind these prison bars To set us free So maybe he's rained down from heaven Like little pieces of the sky Little keepers of the promise Falling on these souls that drought has tried In his blood and in body, in this bread and in this wine, peace to you, peace of Christ to you. Yeah, maybe he's rained down from heaven, like little pieces of the sky, little keepers of souls that drown his stride in his blood and in his body in this bread and in this wine peace to you peace of Christ to you peace to you peace of For those of you that are NPR nerds like me, uh, there's a show that comes on NPR called Car Talk. And at the end of Car Talk, click and clack, these brothers from Boston who have this thick accent always make the same statement. They make this, this statement that says, well, you've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Car Talk. And in some sense, I think tonight, well, you've wasted another perfectly good hour here. 
You've wasted another perfectly good hour in conversation with one another, in worshiping with one another. And in some sense, that idea of wasting time, of being in Sabbath, really confronts us quite strongly. I mean, we have this sense of we're people of objectives. We have things we need to accomplish. Being here tonight is not going to add anything to my CV, unfortunately. Being here tonight is not going to make you more employable, probably. Being here tonight is not going to give you a sense of uh, appeal to other people. Because we're people of objectives. We have things we need to accomplish. And I think being people that way often distorts the way that we see God. You see, I think as a result of that, we often think of God as maybe a manager. That creation and people being created is really, okay, so God put people on the earth in order to do all the things that God doesn't really want to do, doesn't really have time to do, so you have to do, go out and accomplish these things. Or maybe God is something like an industrialist. God sets up a big factory on the planet earth, all these things happen, you have your part to play, and at the end there's some kind of product that God really needs. But that's not the case. In Sabbath we're reminded that this whole thing, the whole cosmos, the whole of creation, the whole of our lives was completely created for gratuity, just for gift, for no other purpose than to be enjoyed. That Sabbath is in some sense the beginning and the end of the whole of our lives. And we're invited here tonight to a table that I think for a moment maybe can be the beginning and the ending of our week. We're invited here to the table to waste time. To waste and enjoy time. And that in wasting time, we find God's grace here. That God's grace meets us in the wasting and in the losing of that time. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open, open ta table, meaning all of you are invited to the table. We break bread for one another, saying, the body of Christ broken for you. And we pour wine or juice for one another, saying, the blood of Christ shed for you. We do that together, not as something that's an objective act that's going to accomplish something better in our lives so that we can go out on Monday and all of a sudden be better employees. We do that as a sheer act of participating in God's gratuity. God's grace, God's fundamental character as a gift giver. So I invite you now to this table to enjoy, waste another moment of Sabbath and to receive in that moment the grace of God, to lose time, to waste time, and to take into your body God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's redemption. After you're done with communion, please come back. I'll invite you back to sing a song of benediction before we head out. But now I invite you to the table. Come receive the good gifts of God for you, the people of God. Amen. If you guys want to take a minute and grab your sheets, we're going to do our song of benediction. Love to have you all sing along with us. It's a song uh, about 
our rest, uh, our rest with God called Green Pastures. It's a traditional gospel song. And uh, I think very singable, so we'd love to have you join us. and trials often betray those on in the weary body to stray but we shall walk beside the still waters with the good shepherd leading the way those who have strayed were sought by the Master. He who once gave his life for his sheep. Well, out on the mountain, still he is searching, bringing them in forever. Up home to live in green pastures where we shall live and die nevermore. Even the Lord will be in that number when we shall reach that heavenly shore.
Y'all have a good week. Blessings on you. And enjoy the rest of your Sabbath.